Welcome to the Oasis Revival Ministry podcast and sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Daniel McGeer. For more sermons or info regarding our church, visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za. All right, say so I am ready <laughs> to receive more of the Word of God. I am thankful that God is a mystery and He reveals more of Himself week after week and He makes all things new. There we go. We're on, we're on it. We, we're getting there. All right. Psalms 28 verse 2. On Wednesday night, God said the following. He said, Hear the voice of my supplication. This is now David uh, crying out. He says, Hear the voice of my supplication as I cry to you for help. As I lift up my hands towards your innermost sanctuary. And I just got this picture. Funny enough that... Can I I really smash some things and go deeper straight away? How do we teach our kids to pray? Just show me quickly with your hands. How do you teach your children to pray? Oh, there we go. Pamela's got it. Pamela, stand. Exhibit A, please. (laughs) All right? I can't do it with the mic. But when our kids pray, we go like this, eh? How many of you know you can't receive anything if your hands are closed and clasped together? Might as well draw a chain around them, you know, like upwards. Does it make sense? So yeah, David is saying, when you hear me when I pray, my hands reach into the sanctuary. And when my hands reach into the sanctuary, I'm able to pull down that which God has for me. So it says something about the way we pray. When we pray, are we going in with closed hands? And our prayer sounds like, God, if you approve, will you maybe A, B, or C? Or are you actually expecting your prayer to be answered? So some Christians meaning well kind of know their prayer is not going to be answered, so they add the God willing part. But when you pray, you're supposed to pray in such a way that you actually expect your prayers to be answered. So David's attitude of body is my hands reach into the sanctuary. And we pull down from the sanctuary that which God has for us. We pull down. Now what is the sanctuary? It's what Jesus talks about. He says, When you pray, pray this way. And he uses the line, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying exactly the same thing. Reach into heaven, see God's desire, and declare those things to be true. There's another scripture that says, whatever you declare to be good on earth must be what is good in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth must be what is bound in heaven. So some Christians don't have the faith to see the goodness of heaven and then declare it on earth. And some Christians are looking at the good things God has given and they're binding it when it isn't bound in heaven. Does that make sense? 
May your eyes see, may your ears hear. At this point, you know, let's, <laughs> let's hear what God is saying. So when you pray, and your hands come up into a position, what position are they coming into? Come on, even higher. <laughs> even higher. You're taking hold of what is in God's sanctuary. And this year we kicked off just an understanding, a context. I wouldn't even call it a theme. It's a context with which we're understanding things. And God said, build and plant. And by building, he said, build my house, build my sanctuary. And in your heart, you build his sanctuary by building your faith and by pursuing the innermost secret things of God. Build that space, and then from that space, from the heavenlies, you can plant. So I saw this picture of us reaching up and grabbing the seed we need, and with our hands we plant it here on earth. And what we've grabbed from the sanctuary grows because we actually plant it. So praying is like farming. You go to the storehouse, you get seed, and you plant it. And your prayer life or your action life will always mirror your prayer life. So your actions must speak equally as loud as your prayer life. You've got to pray and then you have to take action. Does that sound good? Bernadine just quickly mentioned it, it's not in my notes, but I just want to give you this picture we saw. It's this picture or this, in, in, in Samuel, uh, Saul is about to be anointed king. And God comes to Samuel and he says, tomorrow this time there will be a young man who will come by this way. Now God kind of tricked Saul into coming this way because he organized that his donkeys would run away. And so Saul is on a mission looking for donkeys, not knowing that he's been set up by God. And it says, Samuel heard God say, tomorrow, this time, a man will come by. And so the next moment we're in tomorrow, you know, that's next verse is tomorrow in the Bible. And Bernadine's reading this and she's, she sees Samuel calls Saul in and, he's, and, and he finds him and this, Saul actually comes past at that very moment the next day and he, he invites Saul into this room and guess what's in the room? There are 30 guests waiting for him and not only that, they've prepared the chef. I, I mean, I want to be a prophet with the chef. Jesus, take us to the next level, please. All right. <laughs> The chef, Samuel's personal chef, has prepared the best roast leg of beef that has ever existed. And Samuel says, look here, look at what we've prepared for you. Look at the guests that are waiting. Now recently we went to a place where we got some venison. And our, our first attempt to make venison, Bernadine invited some guests over. But she figured it's going to take about an hour 
two hours to make. So the guests arrive early and only then we start prepping. And we realized that was not a good idea. We ordered pizza and we left the venison cooking for a day. (laughs) So Bernadine's reading the scripture and she realizes if you want the best leg of roast beef for a guest, you have to start preparing the day before, which means the moment Samuel heard the prophetic word, he took action. And he started preparing a leg, a roast meal. And he invited 30 guests. And he said, tomorrow this time, I heard God. There's going to be a guy who's going to come down the road and we're going to anoint him king. You are all invited. How many of you have invited 30 guests for a surprise party to someone you've never met? Because God said so. You see, the result of his obedience was the nation received a king. And Samuel in that moment needed to act. Even though, look, we read the Bible and we go, it's because he's in the Bible. No, Samuel is in the Bible because he obeyed God to the level that he did. There are many people who are not in the Bible but should have been. Hello? We easily go, oh, it's because he's in the Bible. That's why he did such amazing things. But God is calling all of us to hear his voice and to respond to his voice in the same way. I think that's just such a powerful word. You know, we, we grab hold of it, okay? That's, that's just the intro. I haven't even started on my notes yet. Um, are you okay if we go on to like one o'clock? And, uh, <laughs> Mark 11 says, for this reason, Jesus is talking and he says, for this reason I'm telling you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that it is granted to you. Come on guys, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that otherwise your prayer is vapor, yes, good word, useless. We don't give suggestions to God, we ask and believe. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and drop it and let it go in order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings. I like this, you know, these verses that kind of lead you feeling a bit like, eh. <laughs> like, like you're just getting encouraged. Oh man, I'm going to ask anything. And then the next word says, but forgive. See, forgiveness is linked to faith. I'm going to explain nicely. (laughs) Man, if there is someone or something or some reason that you can't forgive, it's linked to your faith. I can't explain that without going through my notes. I might have just jumped ahead of myself there. But your prayer life and your forgiveness is... So, here we go. Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Reach into heaven for your sustenance. What's the next line? 
and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Praying for something and believing that you will receive it is linked to forgiveness. And that forgiveness starts with God forgiving you. Forgive us because your act of forgiveness, and this is what I'm realizing, forgiveness, again, isn't the end result. It's the starting point. Like love is the source. Remember we're talking about heavenly places, the field, and then the fruit. Love is not a fruit of marriage. Love is the source of marriage. It's out of love that marriage acts come and then you have companionship. The same with God. He is God. He is the source. Forgiveness is a source. It's a starting place. But so many people put forgiveness as the fruit that they're looking for. If only he will do this, if only he will do that, then the fruit of that will be forgiveness. But God's saying, start with forgiveness. Then you will choose not to be angry and there will be a fruit that you can eat of. Does that make sense? So in that context, forgiveness is the start. Now, he led me to a really strange scripture, which I had no idea had anything to do with forgiveness. But here we go. 1 Corinthians 8. It says, now, about the food offered to idols. How many of you have recently offered any food to idols? You just show of hands. We will forgive you, I promise. <laughs> Anyone here? Okay, I, I've never offered food to an idol. But here's the important part. It says, of course we know that all of us possess knowledge. Yet knowledge causes people to be puffed up. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Where there it says, now about the food. Verse 1, 2 and 3. Knowledge causes... So, again, what is in the heavenly place when we're talking about knowledge? We have... Wisdom. Wisdom is what we find in the sanctuary. When we go into God's secret place, when the Holy Spirit stirs us. Knowledge is something we find on earth. Hello? Knowledge is the sum of everything you have previously learned. Whether it was in school, university, in church. Right now you are receiving physical knowledge. Mind knowledge. So knowledge is something you receive on earth. That, that points backwards. It's from the past. And the fruit of wisdom and knowledge is understanding. So people who live in the world with knowledge never find true wisdom. So they don't have an understanding of who God is. And of how they were created to be. And the full extent of God's creation. So knowledge is, is, an, is a field thing. It's a, does it make sense? <laughs> so what happens is if you only operate out of knowledge, you get puffed up. 
And by that he, he says here, if anyone imagines, verse 2, that he has come to know and understand much, he does not yet perceive and recognize and understand, nor has he come as intimately, or he's become intimately acquainted as is necessary. But if anyone, say this, but, if anyone loves God, truly he is known by God. And it goes to talk about how he is then built up. So with knowledge, you can think of yourself as, or, or people can think of themselves as greater and bigger than they really are, but it's God's love as the source that truly builds us up to that level. And so he says then further on, he says, so there are people who have served false gods, served idols all of their lives. It's their belief point. It's what they truly believe. And then they've become Christians. And they don't do that anymore. But the idols have been real to them. So when they see you eating food that they would have served to an idol, they feel offended. And they feel hurt. And verse 8 just says here um, at the bottom, verse 9, it says, Only be careful that this power of choice, which is yours, does not somehow become a, a weakness or, or it's not somehow become a hindrance to those who are weak. And in that is the core thing I'm trying to say this morning is that when you truly love someone, when you truly love God and are truly loved by God, the result, the fruit of that is freedom of choice. Does that make sense? But if you are new, how many of you know that if you've been married for 10 years, for 20 years, you behave very differently to the first time you went on a date with that person. Is that true? In the morning, after married for a while, you kind of, you know you have stinky breath, but you kind of don't care. You don't mind walking around the house in seven years ago's clothes and you know, some awkward laughs between couples right now. And other abnormal behaviors I'm not mentioning. <laughs> but do that on your first date, and it's bye-bye. See you never again. What's the difference? The difference is, is you don't know if this person loves you. So you're not free in your behavior. Whereas the more you love someone, the freer you become. The less your actions have an immediate result. When you meet someone for the first time and you give them a bunch of flowers, it's like... Later on in your marriage, you bring a bunch of flowers. The effect lasts about an hour. And then it's back to washing the dishes. <laughs> there is a deepness 
There is a depth, which means there is less reaction and response to the things that you do. Hypothetically speaking, you know, just... Another example is, say now there's a guy who doesn't mind being five minutes late, just hypothetically speaking. And there is a, a wife who loves being on time. Very hypothetically. Like, I'm not speaking about anyone here. <laughs> and she needs to be somewhere and he needs to go with, hypothetically speaking. And because she doesn't want to upset the people that are waiting at exactly 8 o'clock for her, hypothetically speaking, the house goes through turmoil and anguish because everyone has to be on time. And he's thinking, those people don't love you the way he loves you. But you're damaging this relationship to get there so that you don't hurt those people in five. Does it make sense? Anyone with me? No, not at all. Hypothetically speaking. And if she were to be five minutes late by him, she would never treat those people bad to get to him on time. Hypothetically speaking. Not that anyone was treating anyone bad. But the context is, is that the lesser love, the less love there is, the more we want to act. And in here it says we are, we are weak in being over-scrupulous. In other words, we focus too much on trying to do the right things. And, and in God, sometimes we focus so much on saying the right words and doing exactly the right things. But the heart of a believer has come to a place of freedom where you realize that God loves you. And he will forgive you. And he will honor you. As long as you are turning back to him and as long as you come back to God, he will always be there. He will always love you. He's not going to ditch you. He loves you. And so, in Genesis, we have Abraham. And he goes to God and he's just, he's won major battles and he's taken major ground. And, and God says to him, um, after these things, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Fear not, I am your abundant compensation and your wards shall be exceedingly great. And Abraham says, um, he says, what can you give me? So he's, he's challenging God. He's saying, I've got everything, but all of it means nothing because I don't have an heir. I don't have someone to get. And he says, what can you give me? And I just saw the words, forgive and the other word, you give, 
in that when we don't believe for, that God forgives, we are too afraid to ask for him to give. And he says, you have not because you ask not, but you ask not because you don't believe that you are forgiven. And Abraham, in full confidence, could say, what can you give me, God? What can you bless me with? And because of that very request, he gives him not just a son, but he promises him the nations. Of which we are still descendants because he opened up the door to have faith. And I was reading in Isaiah 12 and and it just says this. It says, in that day you will say, I will give thanks to you. For though you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you comfort me. And this is what I felt God wanted to say this morning is, is that if, if there is anyone who is angry, if there is anyone who has anger, if there is anyone who is afraid that God is angry with them, God wants to turn that anger into comfort. You see, the fruit of his love in this context is comfort. And if we believe that God is angry with us and we live in, a, in that kind of relationship, then we will find that our own decisions and their own reactions come from a place of anger. Anger is trying to take control of a situation you have not been given control of. That's why it's linked to our prayer lives. The song we started off with, the la di da di da di da di da da song, is called Beautiful Surrender. And this morning when listening to it, I realized that, there, you, you know what, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm not a fan of doing nothing. I don't believe God has given us a weak faith. I don't believe God has created man to sit around and pray and ask for God to do everything on his behalf. There is an action of faith. There is a step of faith. But there is this beautiful surrender in that. And that surrender is the giving up control. The desire to have control over every situation. And the understanding that God covers you and comforts you. And I saw these words, comfort, and, and then he, he writes here, and he says, he says, behold my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid. Say, I will not be afraid. Fear is another, it, it, it's fear's wellspring again, is the fear of losing control. That, that is the the core of all fear is that I will lose control. Think about it. If you fear not having finances or not having enough, the real thing you fear is losing control. The real thing you fear is not having choices. Remember we said earlier, love, is, love gives choices. So the fear of anything is the fear of losing control.
So I will not be afraid. Just say that with me. <laughs> For the Lord is my strength and he is my song. He has become my salvation. And then there's this beautiful picture there in the next verse that adds to our picture of prayer. So the first picture is when we pray, we reach into heaven and we grab down. And then it says here, it says, therefore, with joy will you draw water from wells of salvation. You will draw water from wells of salvation. Salvation is not just the forgiveness of your sins, but it is the freedom and the choices that God's love brings. Salvation is the full confidence to approach the very throne room of God. And the confidence to pray and believe with all your heart that God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And, and I just saw next to the word comfort, I saw the word constant. And that when you dig a well, I'm not talking about Liver axis so well, or you know, well in a fairy tale, you know, where the seven dwarfs hang around. And <laughs> I'm talking about a well in your field that doesn't have some superficial meaning, but it's a well in a field, and the word constant is applied for it because from a well you receive constant irrigation, you receive constant supply. You see, your prayer life is not supposed to be a one-time thing, a belief for one thing. Your prayer life is supposed to be a constant. There has to be a constant expectation for a constant supply. Because God wants to birth new things in you. He wants you to plant new things in your field. There is a constant activity taking place in your life. And I remember how I used to pray about one thing and focus in. And then when I received that prayer, it would be like my prayer life dried up. And my faith life dried up. Because now I didn't have something to believe in. God is saying, dig that well. And I, and I saw this picture that the reason why Abraham had to pray for a son is because God had to open up the well of faith in his life. He was 99 people. 99. I saw a lady yesterday running a 21K race with a nice 88 badge on her chest. She was... 20 minutes behind me and 20 minutes ahead of Pamela. All right. <laughs> 88. How many of you have run a 21 in the last year? Just show, show of hands. Pamela, there we go. Anyone else? So, Pamela, you are light years ahead. <laughs> 88. And I know how much I suffered on the route. 
And here's this woman who is 88, not walking people, not with a crikey, running. She finished in two hours, 15 minutes. That was Justin's time from two weeks ago. (laughs) And he was like, sure, that was hard. Justin does CrossFit and everything. 88. Yes, yes, Abraham, he's 99. And he says, oh, I don't have a son. And God says, well, let's open up the wellspring of faith in your life. Let's give something that you can draw into. That you can understand who I am as a God. That I am loving and caring. And I, he's, he's, he pulls Abraham out of his campmaster tent. He brings him outside into the wilderness. And he says, look at the stars. He says, you trusting for one, I'm going to give you much more. And he opens up the wellspring of faith in his life. And he says to him, I love you so much. I love you with such an everlasting love that I will restore you even from your old age. That I will physically take you and your wife from a place of impossibility to a place of abundance. You see, that's what forgiveness is. Not that Abraham was forgiven in this moment, but in context of what we're speaking about. Is when we receive God's forgiveness, he takes us back and he restores us to our innocent youth. And so when you want to pray and pull down, God is saying, but, but there are things in your heart that, that are holding you back. There are things in your heart that are blocking you. There are grudges and grievances and pretty much any form of anger is unbelief. And he's saying, pray for your enemies. Every scripture in the Bible that speaks about your heart's attitude towards enemies, Jesus, whatever it is, there's always this invitation to pray for your enemies, to feed your enemies. And it's not so much about feeding your enemies, it's about the heart. Being able to choose that from this day I will not be angry. But I will allow God to come and work in my heart. And, and the Pharisees go to Jesus, uh, the, the disciples are with Jesus and they're like, but, but how many times should I forgive? And he says 70 times 7, which is a lot. It's 490 times. I forgot my maths right. Help me, wife. <laughs> It's not about the exact number. And I used to think that, okay, so that means that if someone does something wrong and then they do something else and then they do that, that gives them license to do something wrong 70 times 7. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is is that sometimes when you want to forgive someone for something, two weeks later you feel angry again. And he says, forgive them again. And then two weeks later you go, oh, I hate that guy. With despicable me's voice. I hate that guy. 
I want to kill him. <laughs> and you forgive him again. You see, the false belief we have is, is that forgiveness is some magical thing that when we say, I forgive, all feelings of anger just evaporate. But they don't. Because we're spirit and flesh. So when the flesh goes, I hate that guy, you go, I forgive him again. Someone could have done one thing to you 20 years ago. And you think about it and you go, I forgive him again. And I forgive him again. Oh, I'm angry again. I forgive him Again, you forgive him 70 times, 70 times, 70 times, 70 times, 70 times. You don't allow that person to ever hurt you again, physically. You put the boundary in place. You don't allow someone to do something to you 70 times, 70. That's not what the Bible is saying. You place your boundaries. You protect yourself. You make sure you're in a good space. But then you forgive 70 times 70 times. Does that make sense? We're not on a guilt trip to make you forgive, allow people to do whatever they want to you. That's not humility. <laughs> My mom says it's so much stupidity. <laughs> That's not what you allow, but you forgive 70 times 7. And so many people feel so guilty that they just can't forgive someone, that it's such a hard thing. I can't forgive that person. It's too hard. And all it is, is one prayer. And you say, Father, I forgive that person. And I choose not to be angry. And then the doors open and you say, Father, will you give me the wisdom and the compassion and the comfort and the counsel to handle this situation? And then you find yourself oh, so free in God's love. And you can ask for whatever you want. Scripture says, ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. Only you must believe that when you ask, you will receive. Is that good? I know I've spoken too long away from my notes when I have to type my password in again. Love is, let's just recap, love is the power of choice. You have a choice. God's anger is turned away and he comforts you. Forgiveness is to choose to no longer feel angry. Release it. Salvation is a well of faith. It is a constant supply.
And then it says here in verse 5 of Isaiah 12, it says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. And in that moment, I just want you to take a moment to think of the excellent things he has done in your life. I challenged our attendees of the cultivating a revival culture course. I asked them, I said, what has Jesus done for you? And the people, he saves me. Blesses me, and I'm like, no, 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 that's all the stuff the Bible says he does, but what has he done for your life? And there's some more scriptures, you know, quoted, no, 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 what has God done for you? Don't give me the right answers out of the Bible. What has God done for you? And in this time, it's important to think about the excellent things that God has done. And this is what I realize when your name is written in the book of, just say, what's the last word? Life. Say book of life. It means that there are testimonies in your life of the excellent things that God has done. And you can write your name there and if you were open up scripture, you can say, man, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and then you believe it and you start doing all things through Christ who strengthens And you go, wow, Daniel can do all things. And then there's a history of things that have happened that could only happen because you did it through Christ. And you build a history in the word. And it's important that when you struggle, when there is something that comes your way and you're like, oh, I hate this guy. Then think about the excellent things that God has done. And even when you need to forgive someone, think about the excellent things that they have done. Remember those things. Honor them for those things. That helps forgive, right? But it helps us to receive God's forgiveness when we think about the excellent things that he has done. And then it says, let this be made known throughout all the earth. And so God opened up our church as, or gave us a mandate to sing songs of praise. We're going to do, there's a better word to close off. Can we, Maddie, band, get ready. <laughs> we, we're we're going to do it now. We, we're we're going to sing a song that says, there is a better word. Because if you have had anger, replace that word anger with God's comfort. If you have had unbelief in your life, replace that word with belief. And, and by it, I don't just mean just replace it. Say, I renounce the lie that God is angry with me. I reject the lie that God is angry with me. And I believe with all my heart that he wants to comfort me. I reject the lie that I have no control 
over this situation. And I believe that I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. I reject the lie that I cannot ever forgive. And I believe the lie, the truth, I nearly said, I believe the truth that my heart is big enough to forgive anyone. God has done excellent things. Think about the battles you've been in. I know every person here has had battles of some sort. Every person here has had challenges. Every person has had to work with and live with people that just sometimes grind you in the wrong way. And God says, I want you to forgive them so that you may have freedom. So that you may step into the glorious things that God has for you. And regardless of all the the, the past things that have taken, the the failures of the past, the, the disappointments, there is nothing that can happen to you that can separate you from the greatness of God's love. Nothing can separate us. Is that good? That speak to anyone here today. Awesome. Are you guys ready to just sing? There is a better word. All right. I, I song and praise is very important in this house. And sometimes we might walk in going, I don't feel like praising today. Can't we just worship in a minor key? <laughs> and feel all minory. Ah, let's stand. Wow, wow, wow. Holy Spirit, I'm just so aware of your presence here with us now. I'm so aware of the fact that you're here in this room. I'm so aware of the fact that you've come to comfort and you've come to heal. That you're with those who mourn. That you're with those that need encouragement. That you're with us as we look for more of God's goodness. And for more of the excellent things that he has come to give us. Thank you Holy Spirit that right now you're filling our hearts. You're opening up deep wells. You're digging into hard ground where we thought there is no more life left. And the Holy Spirit is right now and He's tapping into the very life that God has placed inside of you. And we say, Lord, will you let us, will you just, will you let the Holy Spirit do His thing in our hearts? Thank you, Lord, that your word says our cups will overflow with joy. And so, Father, we see your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts right now. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and heal my heart. Help me to step away from anger. Help me to step away from the guilt of failure. 
Help me to step away from all of the things that have held me back and help me to irrigate my field, my place of work with your presence. Thank you for your blessing on my family. Thank you for the way that you love us. And I just ask that you come and rest on every person in this room right now. And just where you are, just take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch you. Just put your hands up into the heavenlies. You know, when Isaiah the prophet prophesied and he prophesied about heaven on earth, he wasn't just prophesying future events that we need to know about. He himself was prophesying out of an experience of heaven itself. And he was just, he was prophesying the truth of God's perfect intent over mankind. And right now where you are, just receive the power of heaven in your lives right now. You know, heaven is not reserved for one day when you die. (laughs) This is the goodness of the gospel. Heaven is available now to you. Heaven is something that gives you the power to live when you thought you had no more strength to live. Heaven is the power that, that flows and, and, and gives you the energy you need and the faith you need and the desire you need to, to trust God for anything, even if it's all the nations of the world. God wants to give that to you. And some of us are just trusting, God, will you just restore my business? Will you just help me get my business back on the ground? For a long time we believed that's not possible and I ask that you'll minister to that person right now. Help us to see your potential, to see your design over our lives, over our business. Some of us are praying for our families and things look so broken that they could never be fixed. And Father, we ask that you'll come and restore and bind families back together again. Thank you, Jesus, that you do the impossible. Thank you that we can forgive and love There are bodies in the room that are just crying out for healing. Father, will you restore those bodies? Will you heal those bodies? Will you heal those minds? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's hearts that are just not in the right place, that just feel deflated. Thank you, Father, that the word says, arise from the depression that has held you back. And so, Father, we... We rise on wings like eagles and we rise to the fullness of our identity in you. And we thank you, Father, that depression can be beaten, that can be broken. That there is no reason to lie in a ditch and just wait for the end. But you lift us up. This is the fullness of the gospel. That you may have life and life in abundance. Come on, this is the fullness of the gospel. This is salvation that you may have life and have life in abundance. God wants to speak a better word over you today. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.